Exponential family and friends, I am so excited for today. If you are catching the replay, you are losing it because you should have been here for live opportunities with my new friend, Aaron Suzuki, and my, I don't know whether to call him a spiritual papa or a spiritual grandpapa, but either way, he's my good friend. His name is Ralph Moore. My name is Myron, if we have never met, and welcome to practical, practical multiplication. In fact, they have decided to extend our our, um, our, our contract, Ralph. They, they want us to go even more, so I think our, review, our reviews are, uh, are good review, reviews, Ralph. So how's that? That's because we're both so good-looking, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, Ralph, I saw, a, I saw the picture you posted on Facebook about um, which their interview back back when you were like my age, and yeah, yeah. you you looked looked thirteen years old, but it looks like you haven't really aged uh, since then. But at any rate, I am so thankful to be here with uh, with y'all today, um, and I'm going to be interviewing Ralph and Aaron, and uh, these are giants in the faith. These men have uh, pioneered work. Um, that has affected and impacted thousands and thousands of people. And so I'm privileged to be here uh, to talk to, to Ralph and Aaron about their work in Hawaii. Now, before we get started, Aaron, can you tell us a little bit about um, who you are, where you're from, and um, what's your social security number, man? Cause I... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I told you don't ask me anything about numbers and things because I don't remember them. <laughs> So that I don't even remember. Um, a, a little bit about myself. Uh, my last name is Suzuki. I worked for 14 years for American Honda as a test rider for them before um, getting to a place where um, life had gotten to me and I was ready to uh, leave this planet on a Friday and on a Wednesday, no, on a Thursday a young man that um, I worked with at Honda um, shared the Lord with me, but it was kind of an interesting way of sharing. He just said, God had a plan for me. And I burst into tears and said, I feel warm, like I'm having a fever. And that was it. That was my introduction to Jesus Christ. And not too long after that, he took me to the Lutheran church that he went to. And I couldn't walk in there. I felt very uncomfortable that I was going to do something that uh, God would be mad at me about, and so I didn't go in. Um, he came and said, obviously, you're very uncomfortable. He says, next week, we're going to go to a new startup church down the road, and that was Ralph starting a church in Manhattan Beach called Hope Chapel, and that's how I got involved with Ralph, and then years later, we both left uh, Los Angeles and came out to Hawaii. Oh, by the way, I was born in Hawaii, but I grew up in L.A. in the Crenshaw area. So, anyway, uh -oh. that's it. Crenshaw, huh? Crenshaw and Santa Barbara, that they changed the name to oh, Martin wow. Luther King. <laughs> yeah. I went to Dorsey High School. So, let me, let me ask you this, Ian. What was your first impression of Ralph? Well, it, it, um, I didn't have any impression of him, um, actually. It, it, was his, um, it turned out to be his brother-in-law. As I walked up to church, now remember the Lutheran church, I felt very uncomfortable going into. 
This one, I walked in, and as I was walking in, it looked like these are people that I could relate to. They look like me. And then I met um, his brother-in-law, and he just said, hey, do you surf? And I went, yeah, I do. And he goes, hey, you want to go surfing later? And I went, yeah. And so I walked into that church, and I remember telling my friend, who, the one who led me to the Lord, when he came, I said, um, welcome to my church. And that was it. I um, was more impressed with uh, not just the greeting, but there was a, as soon as I walked in the door, there was a feeling that I was welcome or I was accepted. And I didn't feel that at the other church. So and that's what got to me. And then um, later on, uh, Ralph used to work on cars and I used to help him. But I never wanted to, honestly, I never wanted to be his friend. I, I didn't want to be, uh, look like I was the preacher's friend, um, but we became friends, very close friends, and yeah. So, yep, never was impressed. <laughs> so, 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 so one thing I know about Ralph, he al- he always he he has like this, I don't know, multiplication radar. <laughs> yep, that's the only thing I can call it. Um, Ralph, when when Aaron walked through those doors and you met him for the first time, like. I don't know. What were you thinking? And how did that relationship really begin and where you got him helping you on your on your car? Uh, yeah, I remember things a little different. I probably wasn't aware of Aaron the first day he was there because I, I, re- I first remember him at a, a, a nighttime baptism. It might have been like a New Year's Eve baptism or something. It was very early on. And I was a little overwhelmed by the church at that point. We, You know, we... I, was, I still had the white wall haircut, all that, when I went there, and the hippie thing was breaking out everywhere. I didn't fit in with my own church. And um, I remember Aaron, he, he, he drives a black Porsche. He's a he's an engineer at Honda, you know, gets some test motorcycles, ride them across the country, do all kind of crazy things to figure out, you know, how to make them better. And um, so here's a guy who, in a way, is a little bit intimidating, but it's like I can really relate to him in a, in a lot of ways. And so I, I remember, you know, kind of trying to reach out and become friends. And, and we sort of did. We didn't have a deep friendship, but I felt, you know, eventually when he got married, I did the wedding and uh, I got to meet his parents and, and the family and um you know, that was that was really good times. But then uh, later on, I, I started having, uh, I used to drive English sports cars. And um, the if you know about them, they always break. And so Aaron is, Aaron, Aaron has got a, you know, he's a server spiritually. He just wants to bless other people. So he came to my rescue numerous times. And, um, and, and then we became friends. I mean, to me, I was, I was really happy to have Aaron Suzuki in my life and uh, almost like a brother in, in from, from where I stood. And then, um, you know, later on, you know, I had saw this vision on an airplane trying to go to Hawaii, and I felt like God's calling me to Hawaii. And so I never told my wife, but I, I told Aaron um, because I felt, you know, safe with Aaron. And he tells me because he had, you know, spent the first seven years of his life and all of his summers in Maui, he tells me, you know, I think God maybe tell me the same thing about moving to Hawaii. And it was kind of like, Oh, it, 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 you know, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this is not a good thing. It's like, I'm not sure I want to go there. 
and now he wants to go there, and so I'm sort of sunk. Uh, if we're we're going there, and um, yes, I I mean I can still even picture the night we told our wives together. It was, you know, Aaron what, what, high or what something. Was that, what what was that like when you guys like told your wives? Was it like was it where did they argue back? Did they ask more questions? Like what what was that night like for y'all? What do you remember, Aaron? Well, my my wife. Um, she's, she's Japanese. Okay. So there's, there's, there's this incorrect thought that Japanese women will just follow the Japanese man that, that, that that doesn't happen in my house. Um, and so I expected to have uh, a long conversation trying to convince her, but when I told her, she just said, okay. And it wasn't like, you know, that means I'm not going to have any money, you know, <laughs> and I'm not working for Hyundai anymore. It's the end of that. Um, and at that point, my career had changed a bit and it would have been quite an opportunity. Um, but she actually just said, if, if you feel God's called you, then we'll go. And I, I was so insecure <laughs> after that because you know, you're, you're looking for the fight and you're ready with the, the good answers, but I didn't get that. I got what I thought actually Japanese women should be like, but that was the only time she was like that. Since then, she's gone back to being Stephanie. So anyhow, yeah, that's what I remember. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're watching or even catching a replay, the reason why this story is so phenomenal because when you think about Ephesians 3.20, where Paul talks about, hey, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask, think, or imagine, that really is this story uh, that Ralph and his family and Aaron and his family went on. They get this vision from God to go to Hawaii, feel called to a new work. The wives are in on it, and you move to Hawaii, and then walk us through, I don't know, walk us through the first six months. What happened? What, what, did, what did you expect? What didn't you in, expect? So Aaron, you, go you for talk, it. Ralph. You're uh, the talker. Okay, the first, the first deal was we had, um, we thought we had rented uh, uh, a whole, pretty much a whole floor of a brand new office building. And it had like two, two big sections. And so one section, we're going to have the whole floor. And um, then we load everything on the ship and, you know, in these big shipping containers. And then they call us up and say, we're not going to rent to you. So I, I, we were scared out of our minds. And so Aaron and I and another guy named Mark Reynolds uh, flew immediately to Kailua and started looking for places in Kaneohe and Kailua where we could, you know, hold church. And, um, you know, we're just, you know, nothing's working. And finally, this church agreed that we could rent it on Sunday afternoons. And so, you know, we came back all happy and everything. And then a couple, whenever, 10, 15 days later, uh, I'm on my way to the airport to um, meet Aaron and their family, our family. <clears throat> and I stopped by the old church, the Hope Chapel Hermosa Beach, to see if I had any mail. And there's a letter from this, this church and different people than the ones we had originally talked to. And they said, basically, don't come here. And it basically said, well, it clearly said, we don't need your kind of Christians in Hawaii. 
And so, so then we get to the airport, and a kind of nice thing happened, but it, it was kind of weird. We're, we're all on the airplane, and they have overbooked. And remember, we're standing around, and, and so I kind of had flown quite a bit. So I go, you know what? Don't take a seat. Don't take a seat. In those days, uh, I don't think they had assigned your seat. And so we just we were left standing, all, all like, you know, his family, my family. So I got two kids. He's got about two kids at the time. So there's like eight of us. They bumped us off the plane for 24 hours. We all got a free round trip ticket back to the mainland, which was really good because we're kind of scared going there. And it's like a nice thing to have in your back pocket. And then we land the next day and there's a hurricane watch. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this thing just can't go worse. And and we have no place to meet. And, and so that was kind of. My memories of, of getting there and, uh, you know, we had been on the radio for a while. Just we thought we'd end the radio once we moved there just to kind of, uh, you know, get some kind of momentum going. And uh, the radio thing kind of took off. And so we started getting phone calls to, uh, you know, we, we had we advertised the church phone number was my house. And so at the end of the radio broadcast, we said, if you're interested we promise to love you as is. Call us at this number. And it, it all rang at my house. And then church was on the beach and it was against the law. So it was crazy days. Aaron, um, as you guys started started to uh, kind of walk this, this new church plant out, what do you remember or recall about maybe some things you were learning as a new leader um, working alongside Ralph, what are some of those things that you learned that are like fundamental to uh, beginning a new work? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. What what I was, what I think I I started learning early on was that um, there were there were two distinct roles, and one of those roles I was not made for, nor did I ever want to be the man standing in front of everybody talking. Therefore, that left me with being uh, the servant to that guy. And I remember sitting and telling him one time that, look, you, you could do whatever you want, but if you cross any lines, then I'm out of here. You know, like, if you go off into left field, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. Now, it, there'd be times that he'd, He'd be right on the edge and sometimes even put his foot on the other side a bit. And then <laughs> because at this point, we're a part of a denomination that has sort of strict rules. And uh, and I, I am not a rule guy, but I mean, part of my own culture says, um, OK, in, in Japan, um, if you're sick, even before the pandemic, you put on a mask so that uh, you, you you protect the other people. So you're always thinking of the other guy. And um, so my role, I, I realized right, right off, was to um, be a servant not only to the Lord, but to Ralph and do whatever he may ask. And, you know, there'd be times that he'd ask me to stand up in front of everyone, which was uh, a bad day for the whole family because I turned into this. I just, I don't know. It's not, it's not good. Um, and then he, he re, and, and Ralph does things that he, I don't know if he is always watching. It, it's not like you, you could look over and you'll see him looking at you. But he, he picks up little things along the way. 
And so one of his things was don't ever tell Aaron he has to speak until the last few days. Don't give him a week's notice because it's going to be hell for his family for a week. And, and Myron, you said uh, early on that he has this radar. Now, the first time I heard you guys talking and you were talking about how you went to a seminar and Ralph found you guys and you guys had lunch. That's the radar that he has. And he picks people that others will not pick for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because of the way they look or whatever. Others will not give that person a chance. Throughout this whole ministry, we were surrounded by, in a lot of ways, other churches' rejects that turned out to be, you know, the knight in shining armor for us. Um, yeah, he, he does. He has that ability to do that. And um, he can find them. And then what would happen a lot of times is I'd have, I'd have to deal with them after he found them. But <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it worked. You know what, you know, Aaron, um, we're, I want to I go there in this conversation because uh, I want our audience to hear this. I mean, it really does matter in, in, in church work as, as leaders in God's kingdom. Um, and we see this model played out like, like Jesus literally took the rejects. He took the people that um, maybe weren't at the top of the A-list. And Ralph, uh, we, we, we're joking about it, but I really do think that um, you do it well. And so for those of those who are watching and joining us even now, talk to us about that radar, man. How do we get it? How do we cultivate it? How do we keep it? How do we engineer it? Um, because I think it's it's the it's it's what we need, especially in this day and age uh, where we have a scorecard in Christianity that I sometimes don't think the Lord even approves of, um, just being blunt. Um, so, so talk to us about that, that, that multiplication radar, Ralph. Um, before I get into that, I want to say something about Aaron, because we use this word servant, and he has a spiritual gift of serving that you read about in Romans chapter 12. But that doesn't mean he's a slave. That means that when when we're meeting in the park and it's against the law, he stations himself at the back of the of the group under a tree, waiting if the cop gets out of the car, Aaron's going to wander over there and slow the guy down, make friends with him, and give me time to end the service. Uh, it, it means that um, when we moved to Hawaii, they didn't uh, IBM hadn't put out a computer yet, um, so uh, we had a old Radio Shack 80 computer. They called it a Trash 80. And so we, we bought a brand new um, IBM computer with, with a 10 megabyte hard drive. I mean, you talk about teeny tiny, but it costs like 3,600 bucks. So Aaron goes and, and learns all of this stuff about computers so he can teach all the rest of us. And he becomes the IT guy until that thing got too huge. Uh, but when it starts to be a whole bunch of churches out there, Aaron's the guy who runs around and, and just look, cares for the pastors and, and, and gets to know people, he'll, not just the pastors. He'll show up on Sunday, and he'll get to know people in the church. And almost inevitably, if a church is going to blow up and they're going to be a problem, then three weeks before, Aaron would have been there, and he actually God would have guided him to the person that can untie the knot. So that when, when Aaron says he's a servant, it's like, I mean, we're partners. He, he's, he's the number two guy uh, 
in a staff of 25, you know, people. And, um, and, and yet he, he positions himself as a servant. And I, you know, but back to your question, Myron, I, I think <clears throat> I, I'm always, I'm always, uh, I'm looking for the anomaly. It, it, who, who's different? That, that's the first thing that I think I'm looking for. Who, who stands out because they're different? You know, uh, who is kind of a, sometimes a jerk, you know, they're, they're a pain in the neck, but in being so they're showing some kind of leadership. And because if I can get hold of that guy and, and, you know, kind of bust him in the eyes a little bit and, and mellow him out, uh, he'll make a really, really good leader. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, I mean, first do people have followers, that's really important. But but who got in trouble because maybe they stood up to authority or, or they stood out in some way? Uh, there's a guy that, that Aaron and I know really well, named John Honnold. He was on our staff for years, and and Aaron's involved with him in church today. And I, I remember John when he was like oh, probably 19, 20 years old, and it was probably our fourth or fifth Sunday having church. And we had moved from the beach to we got to rent this little building in a in a state park. And after church, John comes up to me and, and, and he kind of puts his chin out and gets in my face, you know, like, hey, hope it's okay with you, man. I'm knocking off your sermons on Thursdays. I I, I, I teach his Bible study under a tree at Windward Community College and hey, I'm just using your stuff. Hope that's okay with you. Well, to me, that's like all kinds of signals are going off. He's a leader. He's he's a jerk. He's, he's, he's a little bit arrogant. He's a punk. Um, I can work with this. And so I, I, I just kind of get real dead eye and don't smile or anything and uh, on purpose. And I go, cause in a way you gotta, you gotta have a little bit, I mean, you gotta be the leader in this thing. You gotta, you gotta dominate, you know, it's like Caesar, uh, what's his name? Uh, Caesar, the, the dog whisperer. You gotta, you gotta show them who's boss. And so I just kind of dead eye the guy and go, you know what? Keep that up. You'll be our college pastor one day. And I walked away. And um, about a year later, we hired him, and and he's been prolific. He's done incredible things in in America, in Japan, you know. But I think you just, I don't know what it is. You just, you know, Aaron, you talk into that. What do you think I do? Because I'm not oh. sure what I do. I, 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 think, stuff. I think it's something that, I mean, you don't want it to be God's gift to one person. You know, there's things that he looks for that I think we can emulate. Um, but there's a part of the story about John is that he also worked in Waikiki as an entertainer at a bar. So you know how you take requests and you play music, right? So now he's our worship leader and it looks like he's at the bar. It's almost like he's going to ask, anybody got any, <laughs> any requests? And it, was, it wasn't worship. And he's a very good worship leader. At least he turned into a good worship leader. And at that point, Ralph went up to him and said, you're not going to basically go up there again. I think it was for a year, something like that. Okay? Six months. So, six months. Okay. So it's a big slap in the face. But it doesn't, there's times that someone will do that, and they almost isolate the person. Ralph does that, and then he coaches the guy into being better. Um, 
there there was something that I just recently did. There was there was um, this this person that um, takes up a lot of time, and so in, in a group where it shouldn't be that way, dominating. So what I did was I videoed him. He didn't know I was videoing him. It was a it was a Zoom thing, and then later on played it back and just asked him, you know what, what do you see that's kind of wrong here? And then he he realized you know, that he was taking up too much time. But I, I think Ralph would do that. He'd find other ways. It wasn't just you got spanked, but you got, you got educated. You got encouraged. That, that's something he brings to the table always, encouragement. Um, but the others also realized that that was something you shouldn't do. Uh, so the lesson was learned. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, his natural bend is... In a big room, he can pick out this guy who's what he said, the anomaly. Um, I, I don't know how he does it, but he does do it. I mean, you know, like if you're standing in front of an audience of a lot of people and you're talking, he can pick out the guy there without even talking to him. I think that's how he found you, Myron, is, yeah. Um, but it's one of the things is that not everybody's going to look like you, that you're going you're gonna to ask to come on board. And that's not a bad thing. If, if we create nothing but us, it becomes a really bad thing. Um, so, yeah, we've always had guys that are just different. Um, yeah, I, I love that because when you, when you talk about pioneering a new work, I think sometimes, you know, I talk to church planters from all over the country and you know, and I'm constantly asking the question of, okay, are you recruiting people that look, act, and talk like you? Or are you, are you intentionally trying to build an, an infrastructure that facilitates having an Aaron Suzuki who, who will not be a yes man? Who, who will not just ride somebody's coattails uh, so that so that you know so that we can just get him what he wants and no like I'll be the guy that you know stands at the back to to watch out for the police <laughs> just in case I need to stall and it and it brings up in my mind the beauty of of gifting and you know for example you know if if I if I didn't say it publicly no one would even know that I'm interviewing Ralph Moore and Aaron Suzuki, who have pioneered a movement, not because I knocked on the door of Exponential and said, hey, my name is like Exponential didn't even know me. Like, you know what I mean? I, you know, but but there was a Ralph Moore who said, no, like, I think you guys should consider this dude named Myron Pierce from obscure Omaha, Nebraska, you know. And, and so if you're watching or catching a replay when you're thinking about pioneering a new work, it's essential to identify the anomaly. It's essential. A, a lot of times when there's somebody who's rogue in your organization or church or who's kicking up dust, a lot of times we want to get rid of those people. <laughs> but the reality is I think we need to be inviting them to the table. Now, here's what I do need to ask, ask you both, Ralph or Aaron, take a pick. Let's talk about conflict when you're, when you're pioneering a new work. What would you would you find yourselves arguing about? Uh, would you find yourselves possibly wanting to end the friendship about? 
that that could be helpful for us? And then how'd you navigate that as leaders? Well, that one's hard for me um, because we, we did it. Um, yeah, I, I remember uh, one day, though, I, I had a kind of, you know, we, we always make jokes. We overstate things, right? They, they used to tease us, call us the Blues Brothers. There was a picture of the two of us that somebody put in a magazine and, and somebody stuck it up in the office and said, the Blues Brothers, they're on a mission from God. And, uh, and, and so we kind of got these things that we throw around and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about when you get some hard headed guy, you got to hit him in the eyes of the two by four to get his attention. And, um, but that just means you got to shoot real straight and, and, and get him to, you know, wise up to what's going on. But I remember when we first moved there, Aaron started having some second thoughts and, and, you know, every so often he'd say something about, you know, I'm still thinking about, you know, should I go back to Honda? Because they had offered him everything in the world to stay at Honda. I, I mean, it, it, he, he would have been, you know, a lot, a lot wealthier if he had stayed at Honda. And so one day he said this to me about, you know, I don't know if I need to be here. If I'm gonna, and, I, and I go, look, I, you, you got 14 days to make up your mind. After that, never say that again. If you're not, you know, just leave. And uh, if, if you're going to leave, leave. But just never tell me that again. You got 14 days to choose. So that was the worst I think it ever got. And that wasn't bad. I just went home and prayed like crazy he would stay. Um, but but that was, from my side of the thing, that was as bad as it ever, ever got. So, yeah, we, we got along really good, I think. So, Aaron, what do you think? Maybe you didn't think so. No, I, I think when you when you were asking a question, Myron, I was trying to come up with something so you know I could sound, sound sort of intelligent that we had this kind of a conversation, and I was really mad at him, but there there really wasn't any, and I remember that was because um, um, I had just been um, put into a group that they were going to choose to go to Europe with Honda with a kid named Freddie Spencer, a young writer who became the first year in Europe, the 250 and 500 um, Grand Prix motorcycle champion, which would have been glory, right? And so I'm thinking, man, this church start thing, man, we just, I'm, I'm a guard at the, at the beach, uh, you know, and <laughs> to stop the police officers. But there was this feeling of that thing would have, I guess, fed my ego, and then Ralph, of course, blew that out of the water when I had 15 days or 14 days to make my decision. And it, it didn't take long. I, I already knew that I'm supposed to be there. Um, but yeah, that, that always played in the back. Um, and then I, I'd also have to also consider he left something very similar when he left Hermosa. I mean, that was a big church in a, in a very nice building and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that really was, I mean, I, you know, I wish we could come up with something juicier, but it was, it was that it, we, we got along very well. So, so, so Ralph leaves this big church, got a nice building. Uh, the Suzuki's go along for the ride. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in Hawaii now. And uh, what does God do in Hawaii and what's, what was the dream that God put in your heart as, as a church to, to really lean into? Well, 
Well, I mean, for us, you know, the vision was to try to reach uh, 1% of the population in a decade. That would be 100 churches of 100 people. That's why we said it to people, although we knew it, we'd never hit 100. It would, it would come, you know, as they multiplied and multiplied, whatever. So that was kind of where we felt we were supposed to go. Um, we, we had money from the, the church, but we knew that was going to run out from the church in Hermosa. And so kind of our, our deal was uh, we're going to open up a shop someplace and, and work on cars and motorcycles to make to you know feed our families if if the, if it comes to that and you know we to me it was like if if we could hit a couple hundred people within a year that would be doing something by the end of that first 12 months almost exactly 6 months in we'd help some some guys that were already there that should have already been pe- planting a church and the people who had sponsored them they were doing some other kind of ministry didn't want them to plant a church and they started a church, which today is Hope Chapel, Aikahi Park in Kailua. And then we helped another guy, Sonny Shimoka, start on, in Kona on the Big Island all in one year. And our our birthday luau had like, you know, our, in Hawaii, babies normally don't live in the past, in the ancient past. They didn't make it to a year. So if a baby got to a year, they had a luau to celebrate that. So every business in Hawaii has... A, an event first year in. And so we had a, a, a luau for our church and we had like 600 people show up at that. We were just under 500 in, in church on that Sunday. So that was like way beyond whatever we thought was ever going to happen to us. Um, you know, God just did stuff. I think the biggest ingredient that both of us brought to it was obedience. So in the, in the, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just say that so nonchalantly. So <laughs> in the first year, you, you celebrate, you know, what God, what God had done. And, and how many people showed up? Well, there, there were about 600 people. It was a mess. We, we had this luau. So we had actually grown to about 500 people, just under. Because um, I was disappointed when we get close to 500, it's like, oh, I want to have 500 there, our first anniversary. And we did it. But then that night when we did the luau, uh, which was a kind of a horrible event, it, it went on for like four, four and a half hours, uh, just feeding people. I, I mean, we're, uh, you know, Aaron and I were talking about this before you got on there. Um, one of the things about Hawaii is people are really nice. And w- there were 30 of us who moved from the mainland. And so then when we had the big luau, uh, we had attracted some other mainland people, but we're there for the local people. We're, we're there for people who got black hair. And um, so this, this friend, Rob McWilliams, young guy in the church, um, ran the event. And uh, today he's, he could get a job anywhere in the world running big events. He's, he's, he today is the pastor of that church that we started, but he, um, he, we told him, feed people on both sides of the table. You know, have two lines going and maybe have four places or five that people can get their food. He made one big, long table and he had all these local people there serving the food. Well, in Hawaii, the local people, just, it's just the nature of Hawaii. They're, they're kind. So you got all these people from, you know, America 
coming through and well what's this food is some kind of lumpia some filipino food or what you know what's this they don't know what japanese food is and so they're explaining it to everybody so there's not only one feeding station one line but there's these, these people are handing out the food and there's and it's not serve yourself which would go fast so the whole night that we're there the it was it was the very last that everybody had finally been fed and I remember it was a hot place. There's no air conditioning. It was crazy, but it was wonderful. It was just, it was just so wonderful. And and Zach, the guy, uh, Zach Nazarian, who pastors Hope Hermosa, uh, he flew in for the event, and and it was it was a it was a really blessed time. But it was also we did everything wrong you could think of doing wrong. You know, Aaron? Oh, yes, yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. I just want to add to that. I, early on when we were talking, I, I told Ralph that, you know, we were there for the local people. We really wanted to reach the locals. We, we didn't want to bring California, the California church, and make it um, work in, in Hawaii. We really wanted the locals to be a part of creating this thing. And so um, I think within six months, the people that came with us, even before they, they went to Hawaii, they were told that whatever job you have now, like one of the guys came as a worship leader, you're going to have to give that up to a local person. And, and that means that the local person that you give it up to, they don't have to be as good as you. They, they just have to look like the folks we're trying to reach, which uh, there was at one point um, a person um, of the same color as Ralph. Um, I don't know the correct method of calling out his color now, but a white person. The, the lighter color um, came up and said he was a racist, that he didn't like lighter colored people. So it was just totally opposite of what you always hear. But I think part of the success was the fact that he, he wanted to, or God wanted to get the people of the country or the, the city that we're in as part of the leadership. And so when you came into the church and looked at the worship group, they did not look like they came from California. They looked like the locals. And, um, and because we were trying to reach the locals that first luau, we allowed the locals to do what locals do. They explain whatever they, they, they love on you. Even if there's, you know, 100 people waiting in the line, they'll love everybody. And um, the nice thing was we didn't say that was a failure. Next time we're not doing it that way. Um, I think they realized that we need to get people fed quicker. Um, again, it was trying to blend into this culture we're trying to reach. Oh, that is, that is, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Aaron, um, because I want to I wanna lean into that a little bit. When we talk about, you know, pioneering a new work, um, it's, it's so interesting. You, you said we wanted to reach the locals. And when we, we talk about church planting or, or pioneering a new work, um, it's so easy to, to miss that, uh, that principle. Uh, you, you, you knew with clarity who you, who you wanted to reach and you actually knew what it take to reach that population of people. My question to you, Aaron, knowing fully that God had positioned you at, uh, to be the number two guy, you were gonna be there to serve, spiritual gift. 
How did you feel when you found out that as a new church, our number one goal in the next decade is to reach 1% of the population? What are you thinking when you hear that vision? <laughs> what are you like? Yeah, what are you thinking, man? <laughs> okay, it, it wasn't like an argument, but the first thought that I had was, I made the I made a mistake. I should have stayed with Honda. This guy wants to reach one percent of Hawaii, and I'm not thinking of hundred hundred people, hundred churches, right? I'm thinking, we that big? Are you kidding? That's like, what 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 was that gonna? What was that number we're supposed to be hitting for? Ten thousand, twelve thousand people, ten thousand like that, right? Um, yeah, ten thousand, ten thousand. So ten thousand people could. Okay, remember now, we're leaving home, we're leaving a job that we're secure in, and now we're going to reach 10,000 people in an island that when we got on the plane and he tells me, you want to see something? And he shows me the letter that says, don't come. It's like, uh, okay, so this is, we're on a mission for God. Are you kidding me? And then he throws us off the airplane in a, in a, in a way. So we don't even leave when we're supposed to leave. My parents are there crying and I come off the plane and tell them, oh, we're not leaving today. We're going to leave tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm telling them, this is all God, Dad. And he's telling me, stay at Honda. I'm going, no, this is all God. Um, so, yeah, that that's that, – I think what people don't realize is it's going to take sacrifice. And the, sac- the people that have to sacrifice are the guys going in there. It's not the people that are there. You have to sacrifice for those people that we're trying to reach, which means for our guys who f- – who gave up jobs, came to Hawaii with us, they would have to not be in a position that they probably really liked because there was somebody in the church, you know, the worship leader that came from California with us, had to give up that post to a guy who was not as good as him. Um, so, yeah, those folks all uh, sacrificed. There's a lot of that that goes on, sacrifice. So, anyway. Yeah, I'm just sitting here. And, you know, to put it in perspective, when we went there to reach 10,000, there were only 40,000 people who called themselves Christians in the state. And that's a U.S. census number. That's not even church attendance. That's, um, and, it, and it included first Catholics and Protestants, then Mormons, then Jehovah's Witnesses. So we're looking at there's 40,000 Christians. We're going to add 10,000 in church in a decade. And uh, somehow, I think we both just knew it was going to happen. Uh, it, it, and we felt that the Lord had told us to do it. And we knew it was going to happen. The, the scarier challenge for me was we felt that the Lord had told us that our, our mission field out of Hawaii is going to be Japan. And we, we knew that it's going to take a lifetime of investment. And then you're still probably not going to get the job done. And so um, both of us today are still deeply involved in Japan and, and doing stuff there. And, you know, we've seen counting house churches. We've seen about 40 churches planted over, you know, since whenever that was that we moved there in 1983. And so uh, and some of them are beginning to break loose now and, 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 and reach out of their own little boxes and do some good things. And so, it, you know, looking back, it's kind of more worth it now than it was even three years ago, watching what they're doing. So, so I, I talk know, about Japan. A bit. So, so, I, so I know, Ralph, people are wondering, did they reach their goal? 
because that, that was very big. Um, but then God, God said, hey, Japan as well. So we're all waiting in suspense for those of us who don't know Ralph Moore or Aaron Suzuki. Did you reach the goal? Did, did, did you make the 1% of the population? Did you do it? Okay. So, yeah, we did it, but it took 11 years. Right. And it was not just churches we started, but churches we helped other people start. And we actually helped Wayne Cordero. We sent 110 people when Wayne moved to, to Oahu. Um, but the real power wasn't us. The real power is the multiplier effect of people who we didn't have any direct contact with. They, they were the people who, who hopped on what God was doing. And... Um, so in 2006, my friend, his name is Dan Chun. He pastors First Pres in Honolulu. Uh, we're hearing uh, from the Catholic Church that 22% of the people in Hawaii are now calling themselves Christians. And uh, to me, that's great, man. Up from 4% when we moved there, and we've added at least one. So that's five. Now the Catholics are saying 22. This is incredibly good. Well, Dan used to be a newscaster. And so he's a little suspicious. So he wants to know more. So he comes to, there were a bunch of larger churches and we put together like in 2005, probably is when it started. Uh, we got $60,000 together and we invited the Barner group to come to Hawaii and, and find out how many people actually call themselves Christians and how many go to church. So two different numbers. And so, um, they, they did their survey and they published it. I have the little book that they published. And it, they said that uh, in 2006, 34% of the population said, I've been in a Protestant or a Catholic church in the last seven days. And 67% said, I'm either a Protestant Christian or a Catholic Christian. And so up from, so the, the 67% is the number that corresponds to the 4% in the beginning. So in, in, in one lifetime, we saw Hawaii change that much. Now, what I need to add to say to that is that it's, it's slowed down visibly. Um, you know, Cordero is in and out of Hawaii. I'm there once a year. There, there's nobody that sort of stepped into that void of saying, we're gonna make sure this thing keeps moving forward. And so uh, the numbers, I don't believe, I don't know the numbers, but I don't believe the numbers can be near as good as they were, of, you know, in 2006, which is 14 years ago. So um, I left in 2018. Um, Wayne had already kind of left. He's still, like I say, he's in and out, but he'd left before me. And so uh, I, I doubt that it's, it's anywhere near what that was. And and so I don't want to think of it as an anomaly. I think that we're going to see uh, generations rise up. You know, I was one of those guys that would be in somebody's office and I'd see a bookshelf look like my books. These are real books. People keep asking me, is that your set? <laughs> um, no, it's just my books. And, and I basically I've read every book you can see and there's a bunch more. But I'm the guy that would be in somebody's office and go, that looks interesting. Can I borrow that book? And then it would change my life. And I think those are God moments. And that's actually why I write books. I want to make sure that there's some young guy after I'm dead goes, I want to read that book. And I, so I think that story's not ended. It, did, it didn't end with us. It might have kind of started with us, but it didn't end with us. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, um, Ralph, because I think those who are watching, um, possibly those who are not even in church planting yet, maybe you're on somebody's staff. And, and I, I believe that Exponential exists as one of those platforms to, um, to, to, to aggregate um, conversations that would spark um, something in all of our hearts. To, and perhaps, perhaps there's somebody who's watching who, who maybe God is putting Hawaii on your heart. And, and, and that just reinforces every generation is, is, is being invited by God to, uh, to join him in his mission. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a br brief story. I was, I was in California a couple years ago. I was at a conference and this this guy was speaking and he's kind of known as, as a prophetic guy um and my wife and i are are up in the nosebleed section of the auditorium listening to this guy and he starts to to speak prophetically and, and he he says this he says is there a myron and a elisa or elisa here and, and i stand up and i said yeah my name's myron and my wife's middle name is elise and he begins to, to, to say to us, um, you know, you're from Omaha. I see this street, this Patrick, where our, our church meets on Patrick Avenue. So this guy's like starts reading our mail. And, and then after he's done reading our mail, as if we didn't, you know, needed to be convincing to convince anymore, he begins to say what God's going to do with us. And he begins to talk about how in our region, ministries are going to spring from us and we're going to be known as a hub of his presence and and all of a sudden here we are i was with my team yesterday and we and we actually framed the prophetic word and i put i grabbed it off the wall and and i read it in front of our team again and and, and uh we're just like in tears because uh, since that word was released we've seen that happen we've 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 if you will become a hub um, where even this coming Sunday, we're um, commissioning a new uh, church planter into the mission field, uh, him and his wife, and, and just to see uh, the work of God happen. And, and that's why we wanted to have uh, you guys on today, because we wanted to encourage and inspire the Exponential family to not give up uh, going into the mission field because you have a call from God. I think the call matters. And, and, and these two giants that are on, I think we owe God and these two leaders um, a, uh, we owe it to this generation to pick up the baton um, and, and to run. And with nine minutes left, Aaron or Ralph, preferably both of you, what encouragement or, or advice, as you look back, as you reflect, would you give this, this next generation of leaders and even leaders that are younger than me? What advice would you give us um, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to the mission field, when it comes to church planting? Hey, Ralph, can you go last? Because you, you sum things up yeah, much better than I first, do. Actually. Yeah? Okay. Go, so, go um, for it. Um, My Myron, you're you're uh, um, asking that, and I was thinking that um, I I think if, if you are out there and you are a leader, 
of something. And um, it, it took us one year to get to that number. Okay. So that's, that's kind of a wow thing, but don't look at the number. Forget the number. Look at, look at the people that we had at that point that was part of our worship team. Look at the local guys that were there for less than one year, and they were already in some form of leadership role in the church. So I would say to you know, aspiring planters, um, don't look at the number like we got to reach 500 or we're not successful. L- look for how many of the people that you, when you walk into that town, how many of those people do you have in your leadership team now? And, and if you have guys that came with you and they are dedicated to you, you got to talk to them and ask them, please, can you go out and find people like yourselves that are locals here? And you begin to coach those guys to be a part of this team and the vision that we have for this community or whatever. But it's, it's always been, we were able to give away things. We either gave away money or we gave away people. And some of the people we gave away were the, were the best. And so that means we started over again. <laughs> some of the guys that <clears throat> might hear this might think, oh, <clears throat> so I was picked second best. But yeah, sometimes you were, uh, you know, compared to the guy that went on before. But I think it's that. You, you got to keep looking. And they're out there. They're sitting there next to you, probably. And, and you just got to believe in them. Because it's amazing Ralph believed in me, and that's why I, I stayed, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think it's that. You need to uh, get the guys in the town, um, and you got to get them into some sort of leadership role in the church. All yours, yeah, buddy. I want to hop on that. Um, for one thing, if you're the second best, that all it means is you're next in line. Because we were cranking them out. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty easy to admit to somebody, I'm second best or I'm third best. Because we tried to run the bench deep. We, we try to mix it up, put a lot of people up, doing a lot of things. And by the way, when we talk about there was almost 500 in the first year, you, you gain a lot from experience. I'd been pastoring a church of a couple thousand. So some guy that, that never pastored before, like me, when I first started, would, would not know what to do with 500 people in one year. I, I wouldn't have in 1972. I did know what to do in 1983 and 84. So you can't look at the numbers. The numbers are stupid. Um, you got to talk about them, but they're still stupid. But the one thing that I think is important that Aaron was talking about is who's, who's in your community that doesn't look like you? I mean, Hawaii, for me, is easy because, you know, most people don't look like me. But I've been to uh, your church, Myron, and, and uh, it's a predominantly African-American neighborhood. But what, the one thing that I know about, uh, I live in a, in a white neighborhood, but my white neighborhood is mostly Iraqis. I mean, probably 70% are from Iraq. And then there's, there's guys like me, and then there's a substantial number of African-Americans in our neighborhood. In fact, two doors down, the guy's a pastor. Um, the, my next door neighbor is a Vietnamese. If I was starting a church in this neighborhood, I, I would be looking at everybody and going, how do I get, how, how do I get God's flavors of people into my team? 
And 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 so like when I go to to Omaha and, and be with Myron, uh, there's a substantial number of white people who look like me, who are involved in key positions in a, a predominantly African American church. And so then that means that there's a bunch of white people who feel comfortable sitting in that audience because people are always going to look at who's in power and who's in position, who's up front and who's got power. And, and, and then they're going to say, either I fit here or I don't fit here. And I think you go back to Aaron walking into our church way, way back then in 1972, 73, when that was. And my brother-in-law, Tim, is, is a surfer. And so Aaron's a surfer. And uh, Tim is Hispanic, and Aaron is Japanese in, in terms of ethnicity, but they got surfing in common. They got other stuff in common. Um, and so I think we just need to really work on finding the commonalities that are going to be avenues into different cultures in a community. And I think you can only do this if you're intentional about it. You can't do it by, oh, I'm just going to let it happen or I'm open to everybody, that isn't going to get everybody in there. You got to be aggressively loving on everybody and, uh, you know, recruiting them. Love that. Man, thank you guys so much. Um, wow, just how time flies. <laughs> uh, we're already at an hour. Uh, Aaron, man, such a such a privilege to to spend an hour with you. Always, uh, uh, you know, an, an honor to hang out with you, Ralph, as well. Um, you guys better keep your seat, um, your belt buckled, um, keep your seat belt on because uh, our next practical multiplication um, kind of conversation will be with uh, Pastor Ed Kang from Grace Point Church. It's going to be an amazing uh, conversation as well we're going to have with him. And then also, if you're a part of the, the Exponential family, we are doing something called Exponential Roundtables. You don't want to miss this. We're going to be going over all kinds of things as it pertains to multiplication. And so we want you to go to multiplication.org slash roundtables. Listen, if this was ever an indication um, that we just went through with the pandemic and how we've had to pivot, uh, one of the things I'm thankful for is um, Exponential's platform to, to rally together um, online. So go to multiplication.org slash roundtables. Um, sign up. You may want to host a roundtable. You may want to invite pastors that you're friends with in your city to join you as well. Make it a make it a party. Whatever you do, go sign up. And uh, Ralph and I will see you uh, in a couple weeks on practical multiplication.